0: hello and welcome back to another episode of the birthing in finland podcast on this episode i am sitting down to talk with rosalia pihlayasari a birth and bereavement doula working here in helsinki and in finland Rosalia and I talked about how she got into working as a bereavement doula and why the term "pregnancy loss" is so important and makes a difference in the way we speak about pregnancy loss in general. I want to give this episode a little bit of a trigger warning to just let you know that this will be the topic of the episode. We will touch about the differences between miscarriage and stillbirth, why we are so afraid to speak about this topic. We'll go into the statistics of pregnancy loss. Also, how we see birth and death being removed from the community into hospitals. And Rosalia will share the emotions that she sees families going through and what the real support that families often need. She also explains how a doula, a bereavement doula, can help meet those needs and support the family. You'll want to listen till the end until I have my aha moment as we're talking about attaching ourselves to a new pregnancy at the early stages of pregnancy while maybe having fear or anxiety about losing that pregnancy. We talked about the similarities between birth and death and we found those similarities to be really fascinating and interesting. We ended off with talking about what happens in Finland, in the system here in Finland, and how you should be able to make educated decisions to influence your experience. So thank you for being here, and I hope this episode is really helpful to you, brings you comfort, and supports you in whatever experiences you are going through. It was really special and important for me to have this episode on the podcast, knowing that it is emotionally delicate and perhaps emotionally charged and yet it is as we spoke in the episode it is a topic that is very important and actually quite common and so it was very very significant for me to bring Rosalia onto the show to have this conversation so be mindful when you are listening and self-compassionate and open and receptive to our conversation and thank you for being here with me today. Welcome to the Birthing in Finland podcast, brought to you by the Nest Doulas. I'm Danielle Benski, a mother and postpartum doula specializing in maternal well-being and psychology. Each episode, you'll hear eye-opening interviews with some amazing people who support families in Finland just like yours. We'll help you navigate what it means to birth in Finland, growing your confidence on your parenting journey. Thank you for spending time with me today. Now, let's jump into our daily dose of birthing in Finland. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Birthing in Finland podcast. It is my pleasure and honor to welcome Rosalia back onto the show. Rosalia is a Nestula, and she will introduce herself. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, how are you? <laughs> I am fine. I'm so happy to have this conversation with you. Such an important episode. And the first thing I want to ask you is tell us a little more on how you got into working with loss, bereavement, death as a doula. Um, You've already introduced yourself in previous episodes, so if anybody wants to go and find out more about Rosalia and her very diverse work line... (laughs) you can do that and today we'll focus on your on your specialization of of this supporting loss so
1: how did you get into that? So this is a very interesting question because um, at the moment death work is very popular there's a lot of courses and trainings in this but I actually came to it when I was quite young I was 23 uh, twenty two or well, around twenty one sorry i 'm just trying to think back in timeline. I was living in Italy, and I was working through an agency to give care to people at home or in hospitals that were ill and During my time there, I began to be aware of the fact that I had a an ability to sit with the people that were dying and so the agency also picked up on this, and they started then obviously putting me more and more with um, people that were in end-stage treatments or in hospice or basically uh, final moments of death. And I realized that I was able to, even at that young age, sit with the person that was in their final moments and with their family and bring comfort to them while they were grieving, and so for me, it became a question of understanding you know, the other side of life, which is death and looking into something that most people don't want to look at. Um, this is not a topic that many people will dwell on much because I think it brings up a lot of uncomfortable feelings and thoughts and impossible fears. So it was something that I looked at Quite extensively at that time, there was nothing to support this kind of understanding. Hospice wasn't really something that was talked about um, or explained. I think it was something very much uh, at the beginning of its uh, life span. I suppose there was something, but it wasn't as established as we know it today. So it's something that was new it was totally not there wasn 't a word for it. I just sat with people and um, it was interesting that they <laughs> happened to be people that were coming to the end of their life and and dying actively so being able to be comfortable in such a space was obviously a bit of a rarity and and this agency realized this and and utilized me for that so then I came into contact with the families of the people that were dying and, of course, all the emotions that go with that and helping them to face the death of the loved one and uh, prepare for what was coming became part of what I did. And Mm -hmm. uh, then subsequent to that, I left Italy and I went to South Africa and I trained to be a doula. And so I went to the other spectrum, to the birth part of it, and I am... Constantly amazed at the parallels between birth and death. Um, you know, I often am heard saying that there is just but a breath between the two. When you have a baby, everybody is waiting for that first breath to come in. And as soon as the baby breathes and cries, everybody, you know, rejoices. And uh, the same thing happens at the end in reverse. Everybody is standing there waiting or that last breath to come out, you know, and no more in-breaths. So um, we have a saying in Italian or a belief in Italian where um, in the South when we are mourning the people that we love that have passed on, We sit wake with them, so we sit with them for at least 24 hours after they've passed and allow people to come and visit them and say their final goodbyes. But just before they pass, we, we kind of, the family, the intimate family, gather around because they want to collect the last breath, and that is done as a community, as a family, you know, gathering, so that the person that is moving on isn't alone in that moment. And um, whether they're conscious in that moment or not, that is another discussion, but we believe that they know we are there and we are there to gather their last breath. And so it's it's an honor, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to do that. And of course, relating this now to uh, my work at the moment is obviously working with people that are suffering through pregnancy loss at any stage of the pregnancy or even after the pregnancy and also death work for people that are on that continuum of life towards
0: death yeah yeah oh this is this is fascinating and so heavy and beautiful all in one (laughs) i mean it is really a rarity i think to to come across people who are capable of this in the way that you shared um the ability to to hold space for that vulnerability for those fears for the process that is going on there for for the people who are grieving, knowing how to create a community aspect around that. I think that is also so, so unique and special and so important.
1: Definitely. I mean, sometimes I work with uh, families that are going to be in the presence of a loved one that is moving on. And sometimes you need to lead them to realizations that they haven't quite made yet and it needs to be done in a very gentle um, manner so that they come to yes. that realization not as a shock but rather as a revealing um, information so that they can prepare for the next step. Because, um, yes. I mean, who wants to accept that somebody they love is passing? You know, uh, It's yes. not something we, we do naturally. Uh, our instincts tell us that we have to hold on to hope and hope, as we know, is lost to die. Um, So helping someone to come to the realization they should be doing certain things earlier rather than later, because there might not be time later for that. And to collect those moments beforehand, it's a tricky situation. So there's a lot of sensitivity that needs to come into it and a lot of trust with the couples or the people that I'm working with um, in realizing that. So it's it's a very very delicate uh, situation, whether it's in uh, childbirth during pregnancy, um, and in life at any point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: I want us to touch a little bit on the terminology, which could seem not important, but it's actually really important to distinguish the difference between pregnancy loss and miscarriage. So we often really hear the word miscarriage used or i had a miscarriage i miscarried and tell us a little more on why pregnancy loss could have a different meaning and a different energetic vibe to it and why maybe you prefer it Mm -hmm. well
1: first of all um, pregnancy loss spans the entire pregnancy from from the moment of conception to of course the due date uh, within pregnancy loss, we have two distinctions. We have miscarriage, which is defined of before twenty or oh, by twenty weeks of pregnancy. So, if uh, a pregnancy does not continue and, and the baby does not survive in that time frame, then it's called a miscarriage. Whereas, if the baby has gone beyond twenty weeks gestation and then the baby either dies or is born and doesn't breathe, then it's called a stillbirth. So the the distinction in terminology is miscarriage and stillbirth, but most people aren't aware of the fact that we would use the terminology uh, stillbirth after 20 weeks already. They're imagining that it's a full-term baby uh, in which we would then talk about a stillbirth where the baby is actually born, not breathing, or a baby has died in utero and then it has to be born. Uh, Of course, in the the stillbirth, there's an early, midterm and late uh, stillbirth. And so what we typically talk about is a late stillbirth from 36 weeks on or 37 weeks on where there is viability for the the child to live in the world, but for some reason, the baby has not survived. And so um, that is all of this encompasses pregnancy loss. So I, I talk about pregnancy loss specifically because it encompasses everything. It includes the person who's trying to conceive and has just conceived and they're aware of the fact that they've fallen pregnant, but then they have a a very early miscarriage within four, five, six weeks, uh, you know, right at the very beginning. And this is to validate that loss because a pregnancy loss at any stage is still a loss. For anybody who's wanted a child and fallen pregnant, the moment they realize that they are pregnant – we can't help it. Our mind has already spanned all the way into adulthood for that child. We've already started planning how, you know, what kind of parent we want to be to them, the experiences we want to share with them. We can't undo that. That that happens, I call it automagically, somehow. It's, it's, it's just a form of um, what our brain does for us. And To not acknowledge a loss at that stage means that that person is grieving and feeling guilty about the fact that they're grieving so early. And, uh, you know, theres I mean, everybody has heard the things that some people say when they don't know what to say, like, well, at least you know that you can fall pregnant or at least it didn't happen later on. I don't believe that there's a, a way to quantify grief. The grief is there, even if it is the, the beginning of the conception to the very end when you you know are expecting to hold a full-term baby in your arms. Um, of course, grief has different levels. We know that, and, and no, it doesn't invalidate anybody's grief, acknowledging that there's grief also for those that have just fallen pregnant and have barely had time to wrap their heads around the fact that they're pregnant and maybe they then lose that pregnancy. So, pregnancy loss is a way of just validating everybody's experience, and and not just defining them to the moment in which they um, lost their baby. Because whether it is six weeks or thirty-six weeks, it's a loss. Yeah, it's not just a miscarriage or a stillbirth. Yeah. And how
0: about the terminology of of kind of. Taking responsibility over that or blaming yourself, Mm -hmm. because for me the word miscarriage or I miscarried, it's almost like a self blame,
1: self fulfilling prophecy. Something wrong, and therefore I was no longer able to carry because I missed something that I then you know obviously I'm missing the carrying of this baby, but. Yes, the, it does leave one with a feeling of possibly blaming ourselves. Yeah. Did I do something? And, I mean, these are very normal and valid responses in in response to a loss, to, to think that maybe, it, did I eat something or did I do something inadvertently or in the first moments when I didn't know I was pregnant, did I eat or drink or do something that put this this little one at risk and therefore obviously now I suffer the consequence of that. So yes, I, um, I think that the terminology was just made because it's supposed to indicate exactly what it is. You, you're missing the carrying of that baby you're not carrying it forward any longer. But yes, it can give rise to many, many conflicting emotions regarding the pregnancy loss Uh um, where you you could have done something or not done something enough. Uh So I I like to, again, like I said, go back to that pregnancy loss uh, statement as a way to, to deal with that.
0: As we mentioned in the beginning, death and loss are topics that are often left avoided or uncomfortable. So people don't often share with family or friends uh, if they've had a particularly an early loss, because I suppose a later loss is a little more obvious. But it's a topic that isn't really discussed. So yes. could you share with us a little bit the statistics that that you may know around how often
1: does this happen yes well the statistics depending on the country obviously will will be slightly different but in general i would say about one in four people will miscarry at some point or have a pregnancy loss at some point that, that actually actually spans right across it may even be higher than that, but we're not aware of that because, as you said, many people underreport having an early loss, so sometimes someone will not even know that they're pregnant and they're having a miscarriage very early miscarriage, and therefore not be aware of it so of course that goes unreported but the the conservatively uh, we can say that one in four people will have experienced some kind of pregnancy loss in their in their life is yeah. is an overall good figure to think of uh, simply because it actually shows us that if you're in a group of people, you're not alone having had a pregnancy loss. Yeah. And um, it's just that we don't talk about it. We, we don't acknowledge it. Um, and even if people are aware of it, people still feel awkward talking about it, so nobody acknowledges it. And people who are suffering a loss um, – then suffer in silence and, and isolation as well. So that is, a, a, it's a very sad statistic to know that more people than we realised are experiencing what we've experienced at some level, but um, don't talk about it, don't offer the support and are incapable of possibly giving support because they might not have received it themselves and so, if you don't experience what it's like to be supported through something like that, it is very difficult to to know what to do for another person going through something like that. Yeah. And this this is a failure of our culture. You know, we, yes. we hide the, the ugly bits. You know, what we perceive as ugly, instead of actually looking at them and seeing them as a continuum of our life, where it is part of our lifespan to come across death in all ways, in different ways, and uh, be prepared for that. Um, and it's the only thing a, that is certain in this life. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, we all will reach that point at some point, uh, some of us yeah. sooner than others. That's, yeah. that's unfortunately the way it is. Yeah.
0: And that's where the mindfulness piece really comes in. And I had a podcast episode about that just, just I think two or three episodes ago, where I spoke about being really mindful in every part of your journey. Yes. So it starts with with the early pregnancy and just being in the moment and taking each moment as it is, not knowing how long this life will be here for. So exactly. I mean, even yes. after the baby is born, I mean. Definitely. As difficult as we, it
1: we is to admit. We yeah. can't guarantee anybody's lifespan, even the people no. we love. No. And each moment of each day should be collected and savored as, as, yeah. as a unique moment in time because we, we are not guaranteed another one. If we get another no. one, we, we take it for granted and we don't <sighs> stop to realize that this day today, this moment right now is guaranteed. Later on, we have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And uh, for me, knowing these statistics, as you said, it, it, we know it happens a lot, but we're not afraid. We are afraid to speak about it. To me, these statistics are actually kind of encouraging me to, to open up the conversation, but that, <laughs> that's just me because I, I know that I'm bound to find someone who, who has experienced that. And I oh, took yes. the initiative in one of my, um, so I host a weekly mothers group, which I think most of our listeners know already. And for one of the sessions, uh, I decided the topic will be pregnancy loss. And this is with a group of mothers who have already had their baby. So it's a group for mothers with babies under the age of one. But I was absolutely sure that I will find there women who, who in the process of getting this baby, went through different Losses before, and um, of course, I wrote a trigger warning and invited only the ones who wanted to be there, out of their own choice and knowing in advance what the topic will be. And it was such a beautiful space, and and we held each other, and women shared their story and talked about what they did and in different stages of their loss, and some were earlier, some were later, and it it was just so so special to witness. People sharing and supporting each other, and like opening up about the topic that that is so heavy and difficult for people to to speak about, and having me there to hold a space and facilitate was, of course, really essential. Um, because, as you said,
1: people don't know what to say. Yes, and they're uncomfortable, and they need someone to lead the way. So that, that, the way you did that really—you were the container uh, where they could uh, let go and you directed some of that so that they felt they had a, a, yeah. a map on which to go on. Um, and it's very interesting. I mean, we, we add trigger warnings to certain discussions, and as you said, you had a trigger warning when you sent out uh, your uh, topic to the, to the mother's group. And it's sad for me to realize we need to add a trigger warning because in a way... It means that there are people that are unable to deal with the topic that has been discussed and they have no way, they have no support to deal with it. They've had no skills imparted to them to learn how to deal with it and um, they haven't been supported through it. That is the bottom line and uh, we should be able to in any moment be able to turn our attention to talking about something without needing a trigger warning so that people will then teach other people before they get there of the experiences. That is the whole idea of sharing our life experiences is so that we're teaching others if they haven't been there. And uh, even children shouldn't be shielded from certain topics and certain events. Um, I think the first time that I sat with uh, a relative that had passed away I was uh, one and a half when my grandfather died. And uh, uh, my father recalls me lying next to my grandfather and uh, putting my head on his shoulder on the bed. Wow. You know, he he had passed already and we had taken him to Italy to be buried. Um, and somewhere along the line, my father said that I, I wanted to be near my grandfather. And after that, I think the next time would have been... When I was possibly 16, uh, a very close uncle of mine passed. And uh, I went to my cousin's house to be with him. We were the same age. And I think that's possibly where I realized the, the healing power of comfort and just being present silently to somebody. And I held my cousin literally in my arms as they were taking his father away. And um, he cried in my arms, he couldn't watch, and I just held him. Mm-hmm. And I watched for him, basically. So w- we should be preparing everybody to encounter death at some point, And that it's, it's natural, it's normal.
0: But This is the thing also in what you're saying. In, in your experiences, this happened in a place where people could witness. And yet we see with birth... And with death, yet another similarity, that they are both being removed from the community.
1: Yes. So, And even the people working in in those places that are like even during a pregnancy loss, um, sometimes the actual professionals in the space do not have enough skills and enough training uh, on how to be present to the people going through this. And so everything is done very clinically. It's not discussed. It's not talked about. Um, so you know the experiences are very uh, they they shut off you know completely. And when they needed someone the most, they they had nobody. Even though there are physically people in their space doing things. Um, I recall possibly the very first time as a doula that I supported somebody in a pregnancy loss. Um, we we had a situation of terminating a perfectly healthy pregnancy at 22 weeks, uh, sorry, 15 weeks at this point. And um, the, the mother needed treatment for a very large mass that was growing right next to the uterus. And there was no way to not treat her and save her life uh, and to maintain the pregnancy. So it was a very difficult decision to make. And I, I remember everybody in the room had very stone-like faces during the procedure. It was done matter of fact. Nobody actually wanted to really touch or engage with with the baby once it had been removed from the uterus. I remember being my very first experience I was left to opening the sack to bring the little one out and and uh, even clamping the cord, well there was not much to clamp there but to kind of make it seem like you're clamping a cord and cutting it and uh, then wrapping the little baby so that the father could hold the baby and eventually the mother could hold the baby once she came to um and no one stepped forward, no one made any comments, no one, other than offering, our, you know, uh, top level condolences, um, nothing else was said or done, and they were left completely alone. And if they had not had me with them during that time, I think they wouldn't even have held their baby. The baby would have been taken away immediately um, and and possibly disposed of and uh, what we then had done was already discussed prior to this what they wanted to do and so we had a funeral home standing by to come collect the baby and therefore um, cremate the remains and uh, the parents were able to then go and bury their baby and have a little ceremony which is all part of the healing of grief. We need a, a, a way to say goodbye and to kind of finalize everything and. This is what is missing, this step here of acknowledging that there has to be more done after a pregnancy loss, no matter how early that pregnancy loss is. Even if it's a, a, you know a very early that there's nothing much to see but a whole lot of cells and blood, that can still be honoured, that can still be taken and, and buried and a ceremony can be given. And uh, we, we need to bring back the reality that this was a missed human being that was going to be part of a family. And they are very much missed. Yeah.
0: In this story you brought, you actually brought the, this, you know, you mentioned uh, termination, which is slightly different than a natural pregnancy loss. And yet still, I mean, it's such a (laughs) heated topic otherwise but Oof. and it brings into the into light the conversation on la- especially when you said what if it's just cells that can be honored when does that consciousness begin
1: well, when is it alive and that is such a philosophical
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is such a philosophical question and but but as you said when you find out you're pregnant or when you when you notice you're pregnant it's your mind goes further and you imagine the baby, you imagine the birth, you imagine parenting, you see them as a child, you know, as an adult, and, mm. and you know, something happens to you already then. So it's really, really important. And I think with that, we can maybe move to the next bit, which we wanted to just really normalize and validate the experience of a pregnancy loss. So could you share a little bit from your, your experience of supporting people in pregnancy loss um, anywhere across that time, what what are some emotions that people are dealing with at that time? And maybe we can connect it also to what is the kind of support that they really need in that moment?
1: I think in terms of emotions, there's so many different emotions that can come up. It depends also if this pregnancy was uh, sought after and desired or if it was a pregnancy that happened Let's say by mistake, in a way. Uh, for some people, it depends. Even if they wanted it, but maybe it's not at the right stage of their life. So th- there can be anything from relief all the way to horror. Yeah. And um, I think someone who suspects that maybe they are having a pregnancy loss, there's there's of course a little bit of terror. That that. Could this be happening? Is this what's happening to them? And and that is tinged usually with the hope that maybe they're wrong, that everything is fine, and that's just you know something in you know something else. And so ho- hope will be quite strong in the beginning, and even sometimes after having had visual confirmation that there's no more heartbeat, for example, um, and that the the baby has passed, there's still hope that maybe it was wrong that that if they just wait a little bit longer um and they do the you know the ultrasound again or they check again that there will be a difference and so for some it's very hard to let go of hope um when eventually they do move past the hope stage and they they come into understanding that this is definitely a loss um there's immense grief there's uh, a lot of um crying obviously of uh, shutting off from everybody because you want to hold on to your grief Um, that is normal to to want to kind of be with your grief at that moment and um, sadness overwhelming sadness Uh, like I said it depends for some people it may be a relief that the pregnancy has come to be missed and um, uh, that doesn't mean that they don't grieve Uh, You one can be relieved and still have in Immense pain and and sorrow from the event. So I think that um, I need to make a little distinction because we didn't quite add into the actual pregnancy loss the the chosen uh, terminations. Whether a person yeah. is choosing to abort or terminate a pregnancy for whatever reason yeah. that is, people think that this is done with ease and and you know without care. And the reality is I haven't experienced this at all in my work with people that are choosing an an abortion for whatever reason at any stage. There is a lot of of self-blame. There's a lot of wishing things could be different than they are at that moment so they don't have to make this decision. Um, Choosing to terminate a pregnancy does not come lightly. It is not something no. that someone uses as a form of contraception, as some people say. And
0: this is what boggles my mind every time when we look at the laws around this and the uproar in the U.S. and you know exactly, whatever yes. there was. Like, do you really think this is an easy decision for women to make? And you are making it even harder. Yeah.
1: Like, but the reality—it's never an easy decision. It's never easy, and the reality is that. We need to still support in these situations, yes, yes. so um still a loss. someone who's of course, yes, of course, um for someone who's been through multiple um losses, obviously pregnancy losses, uh you can imagine with each loss, the next pregnancy will be even more stressful at the beginning because they are scared to attach themselves to to mm-hmm. the new a baby growing, until, fragile. you know, they feel, yes, it's very fragile and very delicate at that stage. And and they feel that if they just school and hold their emotions back, they will suffer less when, when it comes away, when it doesn't conclude. And the reality is, remember I said to you this magical thing that happens in our brains, where we start to project this baby's yeah. life already into the many years ahead. Your heart has already done that. The moment you realize your pregnancy, your heart has already fallen in love and the hurt will still be there. You, you already love that little baby inside of you. Um, it's not a question of if I hold back, I don't love it as much and therefore I'll suffer less. We can't dictate to our hearts not to love. And, uh, and,
0: and, and you know what this is bringing up for me? That actually to surrender into that love mm-hmm. will... Benefit the baby, no matter how long they live.
1: Exactly. If we
0: look at perinatal psychology and what we know exactly. about the impact, what we know oh, about the, the first impact, environment. That,
1: yes. Yes. I mean, so, if if your little one comes into a womb that is accepting and loving, and um, cherishes your life, that is all you know. If if you do happen to then move on from this stage because it's not the right time for you to be born, and and that's all you would have known as as a baby, and so that is that is beautiful to know that even though my baby passed within me, it passed knowing only love, and this only this is an aha
0: moment for me.
1: <laughs> I never and, thought and, of it that way. Exactly, and and this is what I try to get people to understand when they come to talk to me about the fact that they've had multiple losses and they they want to, you know, get through the, the early pregnancy in a very stoic manner and, and school their emotions and not feel so that they don't suffer when it comes away. Um, yeah. And when I bring this awareness to them gently, then they realize, oh, but then That means that, you know, of course, there's going to be some guilt that will come up with this and um, that they previously did not create that environment Mm. for the other babies. And Mm. so this is why we need to talk about this more openly so that more people can realize they shouldn't resist an early pregnancy and and they shouldn't not fall in love with their baby. Um, Because that's what we want for our children, isn't it? To give them the love that we have. And why deny, even for a short while, that love to a little one that maybe doesn't stay? And again, we don't know. It might stay. So why not create the perfect environment in the womb for it already from the very beginning? So this is part of why I like to do a lot of preconception work with people at times, is to kind of help them to understand that everything that you're doing has a purpose including how you accept the pregnancy. And this doesn't mean that I want anyone to feel guilty that if they felt pregnant, for example, yes. unexpectedly, and then they were shocked and horrified by the fact that they were pregnant, that uh, now they've set up a wrong environment. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that then you had a little bit of delay before that environment was then made with love. And, and then we can I use
0: self-compassion, which is another exactly. amazing tool to, to teach your baby...
1: Exactly. We can also learn to love ourselves more for our imperfections and also to realize that when we um, were in a situation, our babies are intelligent beings already at such a young age and they do understand emotion and they learn from us emotion already in the womb. And so if we don't experience a range of emotions, we can't teach our unborn child that range of emotions. Mm. And so... um, it's important to realize that one shouldn't be constantly in fear and negativity of course because that is not uh, a useful thing to do but moments of negativity moments of fear moments of discomfort moments of rage and happiness and love and joy and peace and quiet all of these need to be happening constantly and uh, you know and that is to to give a environment to the child that is Developing that is saturated with everything that they need to come and make sense of the world that they're entering. Right. Yeah.
0: I'm thinking, let's add a little bit onto what is the role that you have as a doula, as a loss bereavement doula, death doula, and how does that? fill in the emotional support needs that the family might need as they're going through all these experiences and emotions that we've discussed?
1: So there's a variety of reasons why somebody would look for a bereavement doula. Uh, Either it could be because they are deciding to terminate a pregnancy or they've been given some news that the pregnancy is not viable, as in it cannot continue as it is, so they have to bring it to an end. It may be that they find out that there's no longer a heartbeat or possibly there's been a diagnosis for the child where they are not going to be able to survive uh, long outside of the womb or at all out of the womb. And so the pregnancy can continue, but it will most probably end with uh, some some loss at the end, some kind of loss. And so it depends on what, uh, what's going on. Uh, they would reach out for support in that. So depending on the type of uh, situation, of course, there is a lot of um, support in terms of talking through their options, talking through what is happening to them, what will happen if it's not yet happening, um, what they would need in order to overcome that and get through that in a way that they felt supported. Um, How to involve family members if they want that. How to to reach out to extended family members and to also bring the understanding that they are not alone in grieving. A lot of couples think that when they have a pregnancy loss, you know it's all about their loss because they they're the center of that loss. But in reality they, the, the loss actually extends outwards to anybody that cares for them. And um, our society has told us that it's not their business. And so they tend to stay one step back because they feel they need to give space to you as a couple because it's your loss. But in reality, for a grandparent, um, there is a loss there. There is the loss of the loss of the grandchild, but also the loss of being able to comfort you, their child, through that moment. You know, and not being able to to you know protect you from the pain that is coming and that you're experiencing so it's also allowing you know the the bereaved uh, couple to or the bereaved parents to be able to see how the loss actually radiates out from them towards those around them and how they can actually help others to be included in that so a lot of it is actually pinpointing who are the close members in their family, who do they share with, who do they need to have around, um, whose arms do they want holding them when they're crying, um, so that they start to make those connections and realize, actually, I have a bigger circle than I realized. Um, a lot of people think that uh, you know their circle is very small when it comes to loss. Um, the reality is it's a huge circle. It's just we've never known it because we're not encouraged to reach out for it. We, we, we're told to keep it to ourselves. Um, and also because we don't talk about uh, death enough in our culture, um, people don't understand how long it takes to actually overcome a loss. We tend to think that after a few days, a couple of weeks, you get on with life. And then we are a little bit disconcerted when we find people three years later still grieving and still remembering dates. You know, this would have been the date my baby would have been born on. And it triggers them because they don't understand this. And uh, in reality, what's happening is the grief has been so big and there's been nowhere for this grief to be held. And so they keep the grief longer alive uh, and they move through it in different ways, trying to to integrate that grief into their lives and this is one way of integrating it but for the rest of society this looks like they are um, dragging it out that they're taking too long to move on and the reality is there is no right time span to move on
0: exactly and
1: uh, that's the educating of the families that uh, every person is different, and everybody has a different timeline and different steps and stages i mean, and we often talk about the stages of grief, and we think that if we have a map, we can follow the map and we will find our way out of grief. There is no map; it is a circular map you 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 just keep going around it. And it it just feels different at different stages of your life based on where you are at in your life, who you have with you in your life, what other life experiences have been thrown at you. Um, And some years and some days you feel it more, and some years and some days you feel it less. Um, And when you've lost someone you you love, it, it doesn't matter. Time is irrelevant. You just... learn to carry on through time without them. But the pain of their loss, it actually doesn't go anywhere. It stays exactly where it was, which is within you, in your heart. And -hmm. and you experience it uh, just differently from moment to moment. And helping families understand this also helps them to integrate their own losses in their life so by proxy of supporting a loved one through a pregnancy loss for example a grandmother or a grandfather could <clears throat> grandparent could um, start to integrate their own losses and realize actually i haven't resolved this and i haven't allowed space for that and and so there is growth in that family and growth in the family means that there will be eventually growth in the community in in our society where we learn to accept and work with this in a in a much more comprehensive manner that is honoring that moment of passing rather than trying to get away from it as quickly as possible. Yeah. Mm. Mm.
0: I think this is why I love that you do both of these things because also when people take you as a birth doula, they they have your support in case anything like that happens. Yes. And it's why I love encouraging people to take a birth doula as early as they can. Because we know that this early pregnancy loss or early miscarriage takes place more commonly in the beginning of the pregnancy. And so having that, doula with you from the beginning, from almost the beginning, can be, or from before <laughs> the preconception
1: yes, phase, definitely
0: means that you'll have someone with you already when that loss happens, if it happens. So it's such a beautiful thing that you bring both of these skills to your clients, even if they don't have a need for it. They know that you have the skill set to support in case it does happen.
1: Yes,
0: which is one in four.
1: So, yeah, <laughs> it could exactly. And and you write about that that obviously the frequency is uh, much higher at the beginning of the pregnancy compared to the end of the pregnancy. Um, but of course, it can happen at any point, and
0: yes, yes. Uh, nobody
1: ever really looks at that aspect. That what would happen if I'm halfway through and I then go for my regular appointment and we discover there's no heartbeat, you know, and that again is a failing in our culture where if that does happen, the professionals will give you dates of when to come in to do procedures, but that's about it. There is no more um, extra information, support, people to turn to, And even in Finland, for example, they they wouldn't say, get yourself a bereavement doula, you know, to help you through this. Um, I I had uh, a a very dear friend of mine have a a pregnancy loss uh, last year sometime, and I went into the hospital, and the hospital knew me as a birth doula. And they were quite taken aback that here I was presenting myself with uh, a a client to them, what looked like a client um, that was obviously – for passing you know the uh, early pregnancy and um, at the end of the two days that we were in the hospital the, the staff said to me it was so great that you were here that she she was never alone she had you when it happened you were right there holding her through it um, and to give the space and the, the understanding even to the staff you know because th- that they would love to do more but they they're not trained. They, they're in their training, they do not get given what to do emotionally for someone experiencing this. They know what to do on a physical level, on a medical level. They're perfect. They're great at it. But on the emotional level, it's a whole other ball game. And so for them, that yeah. was a relief. Definitely. And that's
0: also in a way fine. I just want to make sure that, that it's clear that it's not a criticism, but rather a fact of educating yourself. And knowing yes. what it is you're going to be getting out of that experience. And that if you want something more, <laughs> you need to find other resources. That you yeah. will not be getting the emotional support, most likely, from the hospital staff when you go there. But that if you do want someone to hold you and carry you. And this is, again, a beautiful similarity between the birth and the death. Because exactly. the same happens when we birth our babies Um if we do reach mm. to that birth moment, um, the emotional side, the spiritual side, the holding side, it's not understood in the same way. So it's just good to understand the roles that different people play in these different experiences and situations so you can be educated and make educated decisions on who you want to have in your space. And with that,
1: I couldn't agree let's- more.
0: let's talk about the experience of finland you mentioned you started mentioning a little bit but i want to go a little bit into more detail because i have heard interesting stories and i want to give people a little bit again expectations and education on what actually happens when when you are going through that can you share more
1: So I cannot stress enough that the location you choose for this to happen in will determine a lot of your experience. Um, Even though this is done in all hospitals all over Finland, uh, some hospitals are busier, some less busy, um, some hospitals are, have a different birth philosophy or, you know, even end of pregnancy philosophy. And it's important to understand that uh, if you happen to be in a, in a big hospital that is very busy, you will be given the absolute best treatment that you need to be given. But there will be very little emotional component, very little understanding. There will, of course, be compassion in that moment given to you. But it, it's it's very clinical, and it's a whole kind of. I I don't want to call it a conveyor belt, but it kind of is. You go in, you get checked, they establish what's happened. And then if it's early enough, they will give you pills to take it home and they'll tell you, go home, take this at a certain time, and then you'll start to cramp and bleed. And if the bleeding doesn't stop hectically after a certain amount of time, then you need to come back in. If nothing starts after a certain amount of time, you come back in. So there's a lot of instructions given uh, what to do and how to do it. Um, in most cases, uh, things will happen spontaneously at home with the medication, uh, if if it hasn't happened spontaneously without medication, that is. For some people, they, they might not need to do any medication because the, the pregnancy is coming away all on its own, uh, in which case then they would just go to confirm that everything has been removed outside of the womb and um, nothing is left that could cause infection so as as you can hear, even as i'm talking it's it's very cut and dry and clinical and um that is exactly how uh, people experience the process and and it's sad it is sad because we we should take a moment but of course um if you think about it from a um logical point of view as in a hospital um it is this is just something that's happening and it's not going to continue. So there's really no point putting too much effort into it because you're going to move on and possibly have another pregnancy that will result in a successful baby being born. So it's it's not given the importance that it deserves. And so in, in Finland, it, it's, 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 very much cut and dry there are steps and procedures for various phases so whether it's before 12 weeks or after 12 weeks and and later on yeah so the 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 protocol differs somewhat uh, depending on the situation and what is going on and um, uh, actual instrumental intervention is uh, the last resort It's usually done in in different ways to try and encourage a more uh, spontaneous vaginal delivery of everything at that point rather than going surgically in. But, of course, there are moments where things don't work out the way we were hoping they would conclude. And so, therefore, then the next step would be, obviously, to do a safe surgical intervention at that point. And um, it, it can be just a day procedure. So you go in, you have it done, and you come away, and then that's that. That's the extent of it. You know, you may be referred to a little bit of possibly counseling through the nail if you're lucky, um, but that's not always a guarantee if you don't ask for it. So I would encourage people to ask for that if they're they're not being offered it, a a chance to go and speak with a professional um, that can help them through their emotions and what they feel has happened um and then of course nobody talks about the the need for ceremony to have closure after this this event this this loss and and that is something that we should encourage
0: I wanted to add on that that when I did this session at my mother's group one one shared that she had a had a loss around 3 or 4 months and she mentioned that the hospital arranged um group burial if you could say like this okay. that for the diff- yes I was also quite uh, impressed <laughs> that they had the opportunity to to bury the the babies together with other parents who have okay. lost their babies I don't know if it was in the same month or whatever it was but she mentioned that that was provided to them here well,
1: that that is very special. That yes. is an opportunity to not yes. only have that ceremony, but also to connect with other people that are yes. having the same grief and, and yes. see you're not alone. It didn't just happen to you if yes. you were singled out. Actually, it's happened to others as well. So that that is really a yes. beautiful thing to do. So that could be possibly encouraged more. And that yeah, would be really then, interesting to find out which hospital that happened in. So that
0: yeah, I, I believe it was in Helsinki. Okay, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I could ask her again. And there <laughs> are there
1: are resources. I mean, of course, there are resources. If you start googling, you'll find that there's a lot of uh, resources in Finland that help with this sort of thing. But most people are not aware of them. And um, also, what should happen is that. For a grieving person to reach out for Mm -hmm. for help can be very difficult in that Mm -hmm. moment. Yes. And so we need the hospital or the caregivers to actually make that step for them and reach out to those organizations and give the contact details of the parents that have lost their baby so that they can reach them specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's the same thing when we know we, when someone we know has lost someone they love. We say, oh, let me know if there's anything I can do. They're not thinking about anything at that stage other than getting through that moment. They cannot think of what they need. We need to be proactive, proactive. in actually and that's like taking postpartum. yes, exactly. <laughs> People don't reach out when they need the help, so sometimes we have to step up and step forward. Absolutely,
0: and to talk about it in advance,
1: exactly. As I do yes.
0: postpartum preparation, it's important to talk about, also to talk about the loss, like similarly as we talk about you know where is there a pregnancy osteopath (laughs) where is there a lactation consultant who is someone who can support me in case i have a loss why not have that person's contact details so yeah important important conversation do you have anything you want to add before we end for today
1: um, just that it's really great that this topic is being talked about uh, on your podcast because I do know that it's quite popular and people do listen to it. And I'm glad that this information will go out there. Uh, in Finland at the moment, there's a lot of talk about death doula. Um, and so it's growing in Finland as well. Um, I did read an article uh, about a, a, what they called Finland's first death doula. Um, yes, I know her. Yes. <laughs> so it's great that this is also reaching social media and, and mainstream media as well because that means it gets further afield as well yes. into the homes of people that will make use of that information. And so I would encourage anybody who feels uh, called to doing this kind of work to to look into it. There are many different ways to come to do this kind of work. It can be organically or it can be through a training. And there are many online trainings as well as uh, in-person trainings that can be done um, all over. And uh, please, if you feel called to holding space uh, for a soul that is leaving, I would encourage Mm -hmm. you to do that.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you for mentioning that as well, to have more people working in this in this field, uh, thank you for being here. It's been an honor to to listen to you and to talk about this topic, which is so important and personally also dear dear to me.
1: <laughs> so thank you for having yeah. me. It was my deepest pleasure in being able to talk about this. Yes. This is one of the topics that I hold very close yeah. to my heart. So
0: yes, and obviously uh, now you know that Rosalia does offer this kind of support. So she's also a really, really great person to reach out to. And we'll have her website and her contact details on the show notes. Um, but in short, her website is birth.fi. <laughs> Simple and sweet.
1: Definitely.
0: <laughs> so that, that's also a good resource to to reach out to. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. See you next time.
1: Thank you. Bye. <laughs>
0: Hey, thank you for listening to this episode and welcome back next week. Just before you go, I want to ask you a question. Do you want postpartum support from people around you but struggle with asking for help? Do you feel awkward to have this kind of conversation? Are you not really sure what to say? I've got you covered and I've created just the guide for you. It's a word-for-word script that will help you feel confident to have this hard conversation. You will also receive the three crucial elements for a request for help which will turn it from a nice idea into a reality. Until now, this script has been used only by my clients and this will be the first time that it is offered for free. It's your chance to receive a great tool which has guided many of my clients in overcoming their fear of asking for help and allowed them to build their village. Do you want the guide that will help you build yours? You can download it now by visiting motherstransition.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Birthing in Finland podcast. To get the show notes for this episode, go to doulacollective.fi forward slash birthing in Finland. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and share this with someone who you think needs to hear it. A friend, a colleague, a neighbor. Help us get the word out so that more families can start enjoying these conversations. See you next time when I introduce you to another amazing person supporting families just like yours.